0: Hello and welcome to episode 14 of our Staff Room Rambles podcast. My name is Chris Mayo and with me as always is Tom Rogers. Tom, how's it going?
1: Not too bad, Chris. How, how are you, mate?
0: I'm really well. I'm really well, thank you. Um, apologies to all of our beloved fans for the four-month absence between um, uh, episodes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but we are, we are now back and hopefully we'll be uh, able to record slightly more frequently than previously.
1: Yeah, obviously you, you have returned from your short... Um, pilgrimage, shall we call it, to, uh, to Egypt, Chris. Um, yeah. You're now back in, back in Europe with a bang. So why don't you tell us about the the kind of whys and what's of that one?
0: Yeah, so that's a bit of a strange situation. Um, so I left Egypt after being there for 12 months. Um, I left rather more suddenly uh, than I might have uh, expected. Um, so basically the situation was that I was sort of enjoying teaching out there and you know, obviously regular listeners to the podcast will you know, know that I would share stories from school and was generally pretty happy. Um, unfortunately, sort of late October, early November, there was a huge financial devaluation in the country and uh, that effectively meant that uh, expat teachers were being paid about 60% less than they were the day before the, the crash. Um, yeah. And it just made it pretty, uh, pretty you know, an untenable sort of solution to to continue to work there, so it was a bit of a, sad, a sort of sad and fairly rapid ending in the end, um, which is a shame. So uh, I was looking around for other opportunities and fortunately found a position uh, here in sunny Spain. So you and I, Tom, now are both recording from Spain, which is uh, which is nice, although complete opposite ends of it. Um, I'm currently Great. teaching at a school, uh, a British school, on the south coast um, in a city called Almeria, and uh, we're enjoying lots of. Sun and a uh, little bits of wind actually at the moment, but um, it's a it's a really nice uh, place to be, um, and I've I've settled in pretty quickly. So a bit of a turbulent end to being in Egypt, but um, it's a pretty nice uh, pretty nice start to being in Spain.
1: And um, what would you say? I mean, mention the weather there. Let's talk about the weather because I mean, in Vigo, um, we haven't had. I think we might have had just I don't know maybe two days or three days where I would say the weather's been bad. Since I got here, I mean, to put it in context, I haven't had to put my heating on yet. Okay, in, in my flat That's since I, since I got here, it hasn't gone on once. In fact, last night was the first time I thought about putting it on. Mm. Um, I don't know what it's like. I'm guessing it's be- even better where you are. I mean, it hasn't gone. It hasn't gone below ten degrees here since since or maybe eight eight or eight kind of degrees it hasn't gone below that since i got here
0: yeah but well it's been i mean the temperatures here have been pretty similar you know i i uh, moved here in uh, uh, the beginning part of january and uh, since then the temperatures have been yeah mostly pretty good um but of course because we're on the coast we do also attract quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of wind quite frequently so even when the, even when the temperatures are quite good sometimes they feel a bit cooler than they they uh, they might do um, because yeah. of, the sort of the sort of sea breeze. But when you know when we get into the summer and that you know the temperatures become sort of thirty to forty degrees every day, um, a little bit of a breeze will be pretty welcome. Um, but you know I, I can't I certainly can't complain. You know there's been a couple of days where I've been able to sit on the beach. I mean I've even been in the sea and it's you know I'm, I'm pretty sure most Spanish people wouldn't uh, jump into the sea. But being a, one of those sort of Brits abroad types, I've uh, yeah. sort of braved the, the 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 weather. And actually the the you know it was it was pretty comfortable. So. Um, that's only going to get better from from here on in, and you know I know that you've written about this and spoken about this kind of thing before, but um, you know there are some amazing advantages sometimes to to you know teaching outside of the UK, and you know me being able to stroll along to the beach after school um, is certainly one of them. It's not, not something I experienced when I was teaching in Bradford.
1: <laughs> listen, we're not here to slag off Bradford, mate. Oh, oh I listen. I, no, I, not, I, I I'm taking not... a bit of issue not... because you know.
0: I love Bradford very, very much. It's a very, very special place, but it doesn't have a seaside.
1: <laughs> don't like prejudice. We're not all right here. okay? You might be, I'm not. I love every city equally in the world. So. I'm all for you. There's your evidence. <laughs> um, right. Um, now, Christoph, Hello. what we you talking about on this podcast
0: Um, well, we've got, um, we're going to keep it, I think, relatively short, um, because we're both recording after busy days of teaching and, uh, it's, it's the first one, um, back since our long hiatus. So we're both trying to, I've actually had
1: my best day of the week, but my Friday is my best day.
0: Is it? Yeah. I yeah. It used to be one of my good days, but I've, uh, I've inherited a few additional responsibilities recently. You,
1: <laughs> so you've, taught, you've taught seven lessons, haven't you, today?
0: i taught seven out of eight, yes. I've taught a combination of uh, ICT for a while, media studies for a little bit, um, <sighs> and then a variety of uh, form tutoring. I'm, I'm only
1: laughing because you said, you kind of suggested teaching media studies was difficult. Oh, no, no, that was a joke. So edit that out of the podcast.
0: Absolutely. Uh, no editing will be required because... Um, I simply can't be bothered. Um, So anyway, yes, we've got two topics on the agenda for today. Um, The first thing we're going to talk about is um, a little bit of response to the report that was released today um, uh, by Tom Bennett, who's obviously uh, an advisor to the government, um, often referred to as a behavior czar. Um, The headline that we're going to look at is um, behavior is a national problem in schools in England, uh, review fines. So we're going to sort of unpick some of that for a little while. Um, and then remember, from
1: favorite, It's from your favorite paper, isn't it? I think it's,
0: uh, yeah, well, you know, it's been widely reported, but the, the link that I'm going to provide in the show notes will be from my beloved uh, Guardian. Um, and the second thing we're going to talk about is why being a middle manager is so exhausting. So looking at um, middle management more broadly, but also obviously talking about uh, how that relates to school leaders um, in middle management posts and uh, trying to work out why that might be so knackering.
1: Yes, I like it. So, um, let's start with this report then. Um, amongst other things in this report, uh, Mr. Bennett has um, come up with five, uh, or five key points from the report. Um, the first one is to use behaviour audits to create a national data map, which Ofsted could use during inspections. Um, incentivise trusts to pull resources for SEND and AP funding. No idea what that means, so I'm not going to go into that one. Um,
0: I love the fact that despite a four-month break, we've still decided to do no more research than we did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the fourth one, no, bear with us. The fourth one is to fund internal inclusion units in schools. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Bennett urged the government to find money for internal inclusion units, um, for schools with higher than average levels of challenging behaviour, to try and stop them from being permanently excluded. I'm guessing. And the last one is set up new optional training schemes for head teachers. Now that was the basic premise of the report. But in the article that you mentioned, Chris, um, it's picking on one particular aspect of the report, which says that there are perverse incentives for head teachers to hold back. On challenging poor behaviour in schools for better Ofsted ratings.
0: Yeah, I think this is this is really interesting to me because of the the whole idea, and this this is something that happens an awful lot um, when there is uh, like changes of government in the UK. Not not just specifically related to education, but um, it's particularly. Uh, uh, a, a thing with crime statistics. So um, governments will often say things like, "Well, you know, the, but since we got came into power, crime statistics have have fallen by whatever percentage." Uh, yeah. And actually, what's what what's actually changed is the way in which data is recorded and, and what is classed in certain categories of uh, of crime and what what has been decriminalised or recriminalized, that kind of thing. And I think this 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 particular article is is talking about that same sort of thing with behaviour reporting in schools. So do all schools report consistently? Um, that behavior issues um, you know are behavior issues so it makes a particular example here of uh, students being late for school so some schools will report uh, formally that being late for school is a behavior problem and, and will report on the persistency of that behavior problem where others, other uh, teachers and other schools will, will not re- record that in the same way um, so whether deliberately or um, you know purely just by not considering it to be a behaviour issue. Perhaps uh, schools may be conceiving the, the true nature and the true extent of behaviour issues that, that there are in their schools.
1: Yeah, but it, but it is worrying, isn't it, that, uh, you know, if, if Tom Bennett is highlighting this in the report, that tends to say to me that this, this does exist across a lot of schools, that they are not challenging behaviour for the sake of, inspections or ofsted or data more specifically and i understand that if ofsted come and they say right i want to see uh your self-evaluation report and specifically on behavior i want to see how many internal exclusions or temporary suspensions you've done how many pupils have had detentions for this this and this which departments have sent them up you know which departments have sanctioned students the most And, and actually that's an interesting one because even at classroom teacher level how do middle leaders and senior leaders respond to a teacher who has more behavior in inverted commas behavior issues than another teacher do we you know is there a stigma attached still to somebody who experiences more behavior those behavior issues might just be the teacher tackling it more actually being more consistent being more strict having higher standards um that might be why they have more behavior issues. It might not be because they, you know, have less of a good relationship with a class or a group of students.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But I, I, think, um, I think also just it's simply the way in which some of these things are recorded by teachers in their lessons. So, you know, I, I've met, um, you know, I think probably in any school, there is inconsistency between, you know, the way in which people uh, hand out whatever kind of points or whatever it is that the, a particular school uses to... to um, to challenge poor behaviour and reward positive behaviour. You know, I, I know that teachers will, some teachers will award um, points or whatever for, for children walking into a classroom. Um, in the yeah. correct manner whereas the teacher in the room next door would just have that as a baseline expectation and wouldn't be rewarding yeah. that because it's you know um some people would, would award behavior points for a good quality of work rather than necessarily behaving properly or behaving in a way that is that is acceptable so i think there are inconsistencies with the way in in, in, in the way in which teachers apply these kinds of things and I'm, you know i i've no um I've absolutely you know, no concern really that it's, it's something that they do deliberately to, to, to mislead anybody. Although of course there are you know, possible cases of that when you know, when senior managers are, are looking around to see how many uh, behavior points or whatever have been uh, have been awarded. You know, there's, a, there's a way of hiding. But if, if your data looks quite positive, um, yeah. but I think most teachers probably are not using it you know, like that. Of course, there are just natural inconsistencies because we all interpret policies and behaviors slightly differently. And that's why... Conversations about behavior can sometimes be you know really interesting because we all do have very different uh, levels of expectations so uh, I thought
1: that was a, I thought that was a really good analogy that you used about crime, and I think you know if a head, if a new head teacher comes in you know a so called super head or, or whatever a head teacher is kind of parachuted into a school, they might only be there for two, three, maybe four years before yeah. they're looking to move on. They might have one offset inspection in that time yeah so the temptation must be to say. Look at my data. I've improved behaviour. Yeah, but that behaviour might that, that data. I think the point in the report is that data might not reflect what's actually going on.
0: Yeah, in the and I think I think also that, you know it is it is such a cutthroat world out there at the moment. I mean, I, I I couldn't think of a time in the history of of you know education in the UK where I would want to be a head teacher less. The you know accountability is important, of course it is. But at the moment, I mean, it, it seems like being a head teacher in some schools is a nigh-on impossible task. Um, and you know schools obviously don't want to to receive bad inspection reports because you get a bad inspection report at the moment and you know your head really is on the line as a senior leader and you know and particularly as a head teacher so although i think there's a lot of this, you know i'm sure a lot of people are, are, are trying desperately hard not to cover up things that are that are going perhaps badly or not being tackled as as successfully as they might like i completely understand that Trying to find ways to, to represent data that doesn't shoot yourself in the foot is really important, and that, you know head teachers are in really really tough positions, and i I don't envy them one bit.
1: Yeah, I echo that really. you know I agree hundred percent I don't know how uh, you know the sustainability of being a head teacher um, I mean okay, a couple of years maybe, but to do it you know over a ten 20 year period to go through all the all the rigmarole. Of inspection after inspection, um, you know the disappointment of inspections, the elation of inspections, you know year-on-year year exam result you know the list goes on. It's, I mean, it's, and then I mean, you've got obviously got the kids themselves, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't mean to paint um, uh, a, a, an over rosy picture of how being a headteacher, you know, has ever been. I know that it's always been, uh, you know, a difficult job and, and one that with, with a lot of different pressures and competing demands on your time. And it's really needed people with, you know, good vision and strategy and people skills and time management skills and all this kind of stuff. And none of that's gone away. But I think now it's just, it's perhaps getting to a stage where it's such an off-putting profession because there's so much, you know, so much at stake and you know it's it's a really really tough job and i think i think i completely understand why why people would try and mask some areas of school so they don't get completely molded in an inspection i, I completely understand it
1: yeah so the same there yeah. okay um do you want to move on to our, our, our other issue of conversation
0: yeah so we we're going to have a, a, a brief conversation about uh, middle management, um, which is something that you and I, Tom, have both uh, both experienced during our careers. We've both been in middle management positions. Um, so what, what are your experiences of, of the workloads that are, that are part of b- being in a middle manager? And, and you know, have you found your experiences of doing that kind of job exhausting, as, as this article suggests you might have done?
1: Okay, well, I mean, a few weeks ago I put out... Um a tweet which became very popular actually. got about 150 likes and something or other retweets. And all it says was that middle leaders, it's like they're working in the engine room shoveling coal while simultaneously trying to steer the ship. Mm -hmm. Um, Simple analogy, but I think it works for me. Um, I think that there's a heck of a lot being asked of of middle leaders. And uh, to survive as a middle leader, uh, with a full teaching load. Because remember, what, what what you're finding as, as a middle leader is you're sandwiched between the classroom teacher, who might be teaching, I don't know, 20 hours a, a week, but doesn't have any leadership or management role at all. They might have more key stage three groups, perhaps, than say the middle leader who might have more GCSE groups. So they might have less... How would I say pressure to attain targets with the with with the with the groups they have? I say that I mean there's, there's pressure all the way down from top to bottom. But you know what I'm saying is it would be likely the head of department will have men you know some of the GCSE groups, if not the majority of them. Um, then they're sandwiched the other side by senior leaders who might have half the teaching load. They might be being paid say double. Uh, but they also have their own uh, pressures to deal with. So going to meetings, organising duties, covering for other colleagues, uh, assemblies, um, and, and then obviously they might have some teaching load themselves as well. And they'll probably have an area of responsibility. Um, so they have a, a full thing. But but what I would say is, you know, if you there is a big difference between teaching, say, eight lessons a week and teaching double that teaching 16 18 lessons a week mm. there's a big there's a massive difference because if you teach a lesson for an hour and then you have an hour free you you recover you you, you know if you've got a key stage three say you have got a year seven a really demanding year seven group you no know, you have you have them for an hour it feels like you've been there for a lot longer than an hour Mm. When, you're, when you're being asked a million questions a minute, and you you know you're you never get a second to think, you know you're just fully there, and it, you have to be switched on. You know you've got a full class, thirty kids, you know whatever it is. But then you have a maybe you have a free after, you have two frees after as a, as a as a senior leader. There's a big, you know, yeah, you go to a meeting, okay, but a meeting is never going to be as intense as that experience of teaching that year seven group. It, it never would be. It doesn't matter if it's a challenging meeting. You know, when you're dealing with adults, other adults, it's a different kettle of fish. Mm. So even though, yes, it is demanding and, yes, it's difficult, of course it's difficult, it's not the same. So if you're, say, you're a middle leader and you have you know a full timetable, so say you have your five lessons, six lessons in a day, seven lessons in some schools in a day, key stage three mixed with GCSE, and then you've got to you've got the demands of leading a team and managing a team, which is the same demands the senior leader has, but they only have thirty percent, forty percent of the teaching load, plus more money mm. to do it. The other thing I think that senior leaders don't have is the accountability for departmental results. I think that as a senior leader, I'm not saying you get it but you, you know, obviously you would you would line manage, but ultimately, you're not going to be responsible for a department's results within your remit. You're just not. It's going to be the head of department who's going to be responsible for achievement within the department. Some might say that's right. You know, I can't argue with that. But what I'm saying is if that is the case, then surely we should be looking at ways to support middle leaders more radically than what we're doing now. Because I, I genuinely believe, if you're a middle leader, there's a reason you're a middle leader. Usually, it's because you were a very good teacher and you got promoted into that middle leadership position, usually. So therefore, you've got your best teacher under the most amount of pressure. Mm. You lose a middle leader, not only do you lose one of your strongest teachers, you also lose the leader of the department. You can't replace an, an experienced middle leader with a member of SLT who doesn't have the subject experience, and you can't replace them with an NQT, obviously. Who, I mean, you can, and that's what some schools are doing. You know, some people who've got two years of teaching experience are straight into head of department roles, which sometimes it might work. But you, you know, I'm not sure whether you have the breadth of experience after a year or two years in the classroom to be a head of department, of a Ahead of a core subject or an important subject in a school, after two years, I don't know. So what? what so uh, go on.
0: Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that yeah, there's a, you've said an awful lot of of important things. I think um, I think you're right that being a middle uh, middle leader is um, it's a it's a bit of a tough ask. I mean. I remember when I was, uh, you know, in my most recent middle leadership position, because you know, here in Spain, I've I've just taken up a, a position as a subject teacher and uh, and sixth form tutor. Um, but when I was working in Egypt, I was the head of ICT and computing, um, and so I had a, a small team of people to manage. But I also taught across key stage two, three, four, and five. Um, so uh, you know, there are just a few a few sort of mental leaps you have to make there. You know, if you if you're teaching. Uh, year five, one minute, and then year 12, the next minute, there are just, you know, there, there are an enormous amount of sort of mental agility, bits of agility that are required. Um, obviously, then, of course, would would have to have several meetings with senior leaders about um, whole school policy issues and, you know, results projections and, you know, how how students, were, you know, sort of people progress meetings, how how they were making progress in, in my subject, and I was responsible for that. And um, But then, yeah, but then as, as well as that, you know, having... You know, planning meetings with colleagues that I was responsible for organising and minuting and following up on, and and it, you know, it, it does become uh, a job that has so many different angles to it that it's it's it can be very difficult to keep on top of everything. Um, it's I mean, for me, I found it and I've always found it a really sort of rewarding place to be in a school because you you do get to have an impact. On uh, curriculum in, a, in an area of, of expertise yes. you know, exper- yeah. ex- you know, and and that kind of thing of, of, of yours, which is which is fantastic. Um, and you do also get to have some influence in in, in very well run schools where, where middle managers are encouraged to to share uh, higher up the food chain. If you like, you know, you, you do have a, an opportunity yeah. to have fairly yeah. direct contact with more senior colleagues. And I think that's a really, that's a really privileged position that, that people find themselves in. Um, but it does come at a price, and the price is often uh, an immense workload um, and an awful lot of dealing with issues that come from senior management and that come from some of your slightly more junior colleagues. So it's a very, very challenging place to be in. It does have its rewards. Um, and, and yeah, I and mean, it's something that's, that I, I can see an awful lot of people... Uh, when I, When I speak to people... Uh, who, who don 't aspire to become senior leaders, head teachers, deputies, whatever um, I think they they often see that, that middle management really is is the sort of the, the ultimate goal for them um, i, I don 't always know how well schools support their middle managers to be really effective and and to, demand, to to manage all of the demands on their time and I think that the the idea of providing you know really sort of specialist training and support for people to understand how to step into that kind of role is is something that maybe is missing in some places that um you know because it it is not easy to be to move from being a subject teacher or a or a class teacher into having this dual role um and i think that perhaps that sort of transition could be better supported in some places
1: yeah i i I think you've hit the nail on the head really there are incredible benefits to being a middle leader you know i've been in middle leadership positions for seven years Four of those as head of department. I love some of it. I really do. I I, I love most of it. Um, I don't think it's about enjoyment. I think it's about pressure, isn't it? And it's about the the flip side because you do enjoy it. And like you said, the curriculum side of it is fantastic being able to come up with new ideas and put together a curriculum that other people teach or other people use is, is, is brilliant. You know, it's fantastic.
0: And yeah. And I, and I think, I
1: and all that kind of side as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think from a, just from a sort of human level, you know, um, I've always really enjoyed it in the past when, you know, colleagues of mine have, have, been able to come to me with questions or problems or, you know, to, you know, to ask my opinion about things and, and for me to be able to, you know, as, as a relatively experienced teacher to be able to say, well actually this is what i think here's my advice here's my suggestion perhaps here's a resource i've used before that, that i've used successfully you can you can have that and adapt that and do what you want with it and for that teacher to go away feeling supported and i think that's something that's a that again is an immense privilege to be able to do and i think that side of it as well is very rewarding um to get to that position is is sometimes sometimes quite hard and it requires a lot of your of your time and effort in, in some schools but um yeah but it's something that i've always enjoyed doing, and. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a really good way for for people uh, who are who are so inclined to develop their careers.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, my my answers to this are quite radical. Basically, I mean, t- two parts. One is senior leaders are more equal partners in departmental workload, mm-hmm. and to give them more time to be that, uh, I think all the accountability should be stripped way back out of schools. Give give assistant head teachers, and deputy head teachers, much less. Uh, accountability structures to manage and let them actually work with heads of department more and actually help them the heads of department you know saying things like would you like would you like uh, me to cover you so you can spend half an hour planning or would you like me to give you a hand writing that list of students for the intervention groups we have planned you know whatever the questions are no, that's the kind of role I would like to see more senior leaders adopting. But for them to be able to do that, they would need their time released. They would need more of a time release. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's important. The other one is to, and again, this is controversial, but I think if, it's a, if the choice is to, uh, to have a year seven group taught once every two weeks by uh, a, a member of support staff, in other words, a non-qualified teacher or uh, whatever you want to call it, a more managed time, learning time, and uh, you know, where they, they are given directed work and then the head of department has an extra free or the head of department teaches those lessons, then I would personally give that time to the head of department and then say to the head of department, look, you can use that time how you wish. So if you want to teach that year seven group, you do it. If you want to use it to strategic plan, then do that. If you want to give it to another member of your team rather than you, you know, then you could do that too. You know, I just think we need to. We the, 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 there aren't is there is too, there's too much teaching load for some head of departments. I think to be able to strategically plan, I think that's the crux of the issue. And if for me, if it came down between burnout or. Um, or being able to, to do the job, then I would give them the extra free and, and do it that way.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think this, this, is, um, this is actually an issue that, that some schools really do need to look at uh, quite carefully. I mean, there's absolutely no point in there being a middle management structure if the, the, the school doesn't really have the capacity to release middle managers to be effective as middle managers um there's absolutely no point in in releasing people to do an impossible task you know if you know if you are on uh, as, a, as a sort of middle leader, let's say a head of the department if you are on a teaching timetable that is the same as anybody else within your department then yeah. the only expectation can be from the school that you complete all of the additional duties after school in your evenings and in your weekends and um and we all know that teachers, you know, very often work outside of what, what contracted hours would look like. You know, and that's, that's pretty, pretty uh, similar for, for teachers across primary and secondary schools and, um, you know, regardless of, of, of job titles and positions. But if the actual expectation is that the additional workload cannot physically be done in those hours that you are you are in the building from you know the sort of nine to five style uh, timetable then that is it's pretty irresponsible of, of of schools to make those positions available to people without giving yeah. them the, the support i mean it's all well and good you know whacking on a tlr for something but you you know recognizing people's experience and, and workload with you know with f- uh, financial rewards are great but people also need the extra time to do stuff and you know if you are teaching the same as, as other people in the department then it's probably not going to be possible
1: yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay, mate. I think we've covered those two, um, so I think that's the end of our little podcast, isn't it?
0: I think so too. It's incredible. We've, I mean, I think considering we we've you know uh, not done one for like four months, we've uh, I think the phrase is we've gotten away with it. That wasn't too bad, I don't think. Um, <laughs> so I mean, this this is the sort of thing we would normally discuss off air. <laughs> But well, I just thought we should we should invite listeners into our sort of inner circle of conversation a little bit before the end of the podcast, before we can uh, we can finish yeah. it in the okay. usual way.
1: Yeah, and speak for yourself, mate. I'm a <laughs> consummate professional, mate. Yes, in everything absolutely. that I do. So
0: yeah. Um. um so well, let's 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 do some rambling at the end. So uh, thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast in any way, we are at Staffroom Ramble on Twitter. Um, I am also at Chris Mayo and Tom is at Rogers History. Um, If you've got any suggestions for things you would like us to talk about in the future, or you want to send us some feedback, then that would be a great way to do it. Um, And hopefully, now that we are both in the same country with stable internet connections and we're not moving around uh, job to job, we should be able to do this much more frequently. So apologies for the delay. And we hope you enjoyed it and we will speak to you. Oh, also,
1: before we go, we're on iTunes as well, aren't we?
0: Oh, we are on iTunes. Of course, just search Staff Room Ramble on iTunes or Staff Room Rambles on iTunes and yeah. you will find us there. Um, so if that's the way you access your podcasts, that would be great. Do
1: you think we should have one of because no one probably listens to the very end. So do you think we should have one of those like like no one of those like, phrases at the end where it's like, keep rambling? No,
0: well, we, I mean, we could do, but if, if we did that, then I'd have to stop recording this podcast out of shame.
1: <laughs> I think you're right, actually, on that one. <laughs> And it's very rare. I'll accept you right. So, <laughs> cheers, everyone. See hey, so much. We'll see you soon. That
0: was a very professional end. Well, we won't see you soon. We'll listen to you. You'll listen to us soon. <laughs> Bye now.